Uh, we're praying for revival. Uh, there will not be revival. We've been praying for revival for over a decade in this church. There will not be revival without prayer and without repentance. Prayer, we, we say, Lord, we need you to bring it. We need you to uh, bring it to us. But we also, we need to repent. And that means to turn from. Uh, I really, I know for certain that coming out of all this, God does not want us to return to normal. He does not want us to return to loving our stuff and our careers and our vacations and all these things. And, and some of those things, they're not in of themselves bad, but they've become far more important than the Lord to many people. And so uh, we all, we all, I'm searching myself, Lord, show me the, anything that are idols in my life that I turn from those things, anything that, that has been occupying more time that is keeping me from you. So uh, we've been praying for revival for over a decade. The body of Christ needs revival. When revival comes, you won't have to, you know, please serve in children's ministry. Please share your faith. Please do it. You won't have to do anything. When revival comes, people will hear the voice of the Lord Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice. And that uh, we'll collectively be obedient. We'll be looking at some of these things this morning. We'll be seeing the very words of Jesus from John 15. As we've done the last couple of weeks, we believe it's imperative that we humble ourselves. So I'm going to ask you in your living rooms again uh, to get on your knees for just a second. Uh, I'll give about 30 minutes of silence. I will be getting on my knees here. Uh, the men that are here uh, of our skeleton crew, they'll be getting on their knees. And so we'll be silent for about 30 seconds, and then I'll pray, and then we will get into God's Word together. But God wants us to humble ourselves. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, then he said he will heal the land. You see right now, man is trying to come up with everything, vaccines, stimulus packages, all this, but only God can heal. And I really believe that God could pull all of this and remove it all if men would turn and say, Lord, we need your help. But so far, really, for the most part, leaders around the world are not asking for God's help. People are yet to really return and say, Lord, you're the only one that can solve these things. You're the only one that can heal. And so let's pray. Let's intercede for the nations. And my heart breaks for what's happening in Spain, what's happening in Italy, what's happening in Iran, uh, what could happen in our own country. Even what's happening in New York is, is uh, pretty dreadful stuff. And so we need to pray that God would awaken and open the eyes of us all. So let's take 30 seconds of silence, pray on your knees, and then I'll close this. Father, we ask and we pray that you would have mercy upon us, Lord. We need the help of the living God. We need the help of the great physician. We need the Savior of the world. Lord, I pray that you would cause your people, those that are born again, called by your name, have come to saving faith. Lord, 
that we turn from anything that is keeping us from you, Lord, that you would just, uh, Lord, cleanse us and forgive us of our own sins and iniquities, Lord, uh, wash us and purify us afresh and anew, that you'd revive us, revive us in spirit, arrive, revive us in a fervency for you, our prayer life, our love for your word. Lord, I pray that those that are still in darkness that have never come to know you as Lord and Savior, that this would be the day, this would be the week, this would be the month, uh, this would be the season that they would come and repent. We pray, Lord, that you would heal thousands that are uh, infected with this virus and other sicknesses, Lord. We pray that you would heal the nations, that you would bring a great awakening, you'd bring salvation, you'd bring healing, you'd bring restoration, Lord. Uh, we pray, Lord, that our nation would turn to you. We turn from our sins. We turn from our idolatry. We turn from our arrogance and, and self-reliance. Lord, we ask for an outpouring of your spirit. Only you can send revival. We can ask for it. We can plead for it. We can pray for it, but only you can send it. And, Lord, we just ask that you would do all these things. For only you are able, Lord, only you are able to send the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would bring a refreshing. Lord, you would turn the tide uh, against what is coming uh, against so many people in humanity. But, Lord, that people would not put their trust in themselves or their governments or in medicine or vaccines. Those things can be used. You've allowed them to be used down through the ages. But ultimately, Lord, healing comes from you. Salvation comes from you. Rescue comes from you, Lord. So we, we call upon you. And, Lord, we ask that you just turn us from trusting in ourselves humbling ourselves, whatever you ask us to do, Lord, that we would follow through and say, yes, Lord, you are God and we are but a man. So, Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for your intervention. We ask for your healing. We ask for miracles of those, Lord, that maybe even on death's door that you would turn things around. You, we pray that you protect doctors, nurses, hospitals, healthcare systems. But, Lord, even doctors and nurses would turn and put their faith and trust in you. Lord, those on the front lines, all of these things, Lord, we ask for an awakening, and a revival of all the nations. Lord, you so love the world. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You can stand back up or get back on your couch or whatever it is. Uh, if you were driving, I hope that you just kept driving. But um, turn with me to John chapter 15. John 15, this is uh, the third week of kind of looking at things through the lens of Jesus. How would he have us to uh, operate and to ponder these things and, and respond to them that we see happening all around us? Uh, John 15, beautiful chapter. I reference it often. I haven't taught on it in quite a while, but uh, I reference it often. Uh, John 15, starting with verse 1, red-letter words of Jesus. This is one of those chapters that every single word in the chapter is the words of Jesus. If you have a red-letter Bible, you'll see that every single word is in red letters. Jesus himself speaking to us. Starting verse 1, if you have your Bibles open, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it, may be, that it may bear more fruit. That's never an easy thing when he prunes us, but it's so necessary. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you 
unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I quote this verse a lot. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered, uh, they, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and you will be my disciples. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus already laid down his life for us that we would not fear death. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. Can I get an amen on that? Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Yes, even bear fruit in the middle of a global pandemic that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for the comforting, Lord, guiding, powerful, necessary, life-giving, strength-giving, joy-giving, peace-giving words of Jesus, your only begotten Son. Lord, we're praying to you, Father, and Jesus is sitting right beside you on the throne, and the Spirit is present. And so, Lord, I pray that I would be invisible for the next 30 minutes or so, and that each and every person would not hear me, for I have nothing to offer, but that we, myself included, we would hear from you, Jesus the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great physician, the wonderful counselor. Lord, we pray that we'd hear from you and, Lord, know you more through it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, at the outset of the uh, American shutdowns in the face of this global pandemic, we looked at the promise in Scripture that we could have a calm and clear response in the midst of a rising storm. And that our leader, remember I was talking about who our leader is, that Jesus sits above all the storms, which is really a blessing to know because I believe that more storm is coming and this storm is far from over. But we are reminding ourselves here today, and we were a couple of weeks ago, that our first response to any crisis and any potential chaos is to look to what God has already written in his word. The simple but powerful words, it is 
written. It supersedes what is unfolding. Amen? It is written, supersedes what is unfolding. I just read from John 15. And we'll be looking at these verses. But in the previous chapter, Jesus gives us these beautiful and faithful words. Look at the screen. John 14, 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. As this entire series states, we're looking up to Jesus. Before we look to the news, before we look to ourselves, to social media, to our friends, our families, our close family, even the experts, frankly, anyone, as Jesus alone has the answers. This world, our wandering minds are very, very limited. Have you seen how limited the world is? An invisible thing has shut down humanity. Nobody can see it. That's how limited we are. We desperately need divine help. Desperately need divine help. More than we even recognize right now. Last week, we looked at the importance and the necessity of the free gift of God's grace. God's grace. Amazing grace. In the midst of this season or any season. First, we need His grace to save us. Jesus said, I chose you, right? Same passage. He saved us. But then to transform us and to sustain us in the journey that he's placed before us. And as we bring this series to a close today and begin looking the next two weeks to the most important week in the history of the world, I'd like to build on that work of grace. As Jesus lays out for us here in John 15, how to abide, how to abide in him. How to abide in him. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 12, so important that we abide in him. He said in John chapter 12, if your Bibles are still in your hand, you can turn left just a few pages to the 12th chapter. And Jesus said, he who believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into this world. Whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Uh, here's the thing. You can either abide in darkness or abide in Jesus. John 12, John 15. You can either abide in darkness or abide in Jesus. And Jesus lays out how we'll abide in him. That will not only be sure-footed and secure, but flourishing and even growing in the grace, his grace, no matter how dark and no matter how disturbing the landscape of the world is. His words remain faithful, reassuring, unfailing, if we'll believe and receive and obey him. It requires obedience. It's always going to require obedience. If you're a doctor right now working in the hospital and they say, these are the things you must follow to put on 
all of the garments that are... Do you think obedience matters? Of course it does. If they say social distancing, this is the thing that's going to keep the spread, does obedience matter? Or we're just going to throw COVID parties anyway, we're going to do anything we want? No, we're learning right now that obedience has always mattered. Yes, of course it matters. But it matters most when God gives the command. And in this case, his son Jesus. If we'll believe, if we'll receive, if we'll obey. But back to verse 5. Back to verse 5 here, looking at your Bibles. I can't cover every verse. We're covering just a couple of the verses, of which we, I read uh, 17 verses there. But we're only going to cover a few of them and just get a flavor of what Jesus is telling us here. In verse 5, you see the words that Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He's the vine. You can circle I am there. I am, you know, a lot of I am statements of Jesus. I am. He's the great I am. We really have no more control of our lives today than we did five weeks ago or five months ago or five years ago. Hopefully, we're just now more acutely aware of our helplessness. I can't make my heart beat while I'm teaching today, I have to trust in God, and so do you. Matter of fact, it's interesting, even in the midst of this pandemic, this week we've had two, peop- two families lose a loved one rather unexpectedly in our church. We've got someone in our family, my brother's here, you know, we've got someone in our family who is really close to uh, not doing well at all with brain cancer. I've, I've heard other people uh, from around the country say, we've lost a loved one. And none of this is due to the virus. The, the point is, we've always been helpless. It's just more, we're more aware of it now. We've never had control. Jesus says, come to me. I'm in control of the universe and of your soul. So we're more aware of it now. And that's a healthy thing. It's healthy that we're aware of our helplessness. I know that you men agree with me and hopefully online. It's healthy. It really is. Because he is the vine. He's the sustainer. He's the life source. This cannot be overstated. Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the life source. And if you're taking notes, the first thing I want to look at this morning is we have to submit to the vine. We're the branches. If Christ is your Savior, you've been made clean. That's back in verse 3. He said, you're already clean because of the word I've given you. I've been made clean June 1995. I was made clean. Since then, I need the vine. Well, I need the vine to get clean, but I've needed the vine to grow in his grace. And we'll get to that as well. But you've been made clean by the living word himself back in verse 3. It's understood that we accepted him as our Lord and our Savior. It's understood that we accepted him as our Savior and Redeemer, but we also are to accept Jesus as Lord. Not just Redeemer and our Savior, but also our Lord. He's the giver of life, the giver of eternal life. And the one who charts our course. I did not, once I got saved, I had a course that I was on. I liked my former career. I was doing pretty well at it. And God says, no, this is my course for you. Well, you don't, what you don't know, Tim, is in 2020, the whole world's going to get shut down. 
And the course I have for you is to present my word, which is settled forever, which is never going to change. And all the businesses, things, and all the entertainment, they're going to go up and down. They're going to have their seasons in, out, in style, out of style. But people need to hear me. And so he charted my course. And if, if you've been born again, he's charted your course. Maybe you have had three kids in time you got saved. You've led them to Christ. Jesus saved us to chart our course. He's the vine. He's the one giving the directions. There's not a single area, I'll remind you, there's not a single area in our life where Christ ever asked for our help, where he ever asked for our opinion, where he ever says, you know, Tim, I love your insight on this. He never asks us for direction. And so it is essential that we understand our role in relation to Jesus. He's here, we're here. Individually and as a church body, we understand he is the head, we're not. He's the Lord, we're the servants. He's the father, he's the head of the household, we're the children. He's the head, we're the body. The body always responds to the commands of the head, right? Our brain is telling my hand to move right now. He is the vine, he's the life-giving source. We are are the branches. Now, this is not optional submission. He's telling us that you've got to come in under me. You've got to be grafted in. You've got to understand that I'm the vine and you're the branches. Jesus is not asking that we submit. Rather, he's commanding that we do so. And of course, to do so is for our own good. And we receive more grace to do it, as we looked at last week. Andrew Murray, he said these words, the root of all virtue and grace, of all faith and acceptable worship, is that we know that we have nothing but what we receive and bow, as we bowed on our knees earlier, and bow in deepest humility to wait upon God for it. Everything you need, everything this world needs, can really only come from God. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above, the Bible says. Matter of fact, unless God allows it, there can't even be anything found, a cure for cancer, viruses, unless God allows it. Now, he's been gracious. He's allowed many cures to be found. And I believe eventually a cure will be found that God will let it. But will we call upon him now as a follower of Christ? I understand, Lord, you're the vine. I'm the branch. I'm in submission to you. To willingly submit will be a blessing. We were designed, we were designed at the very beginning of creation, we were designed to be under the lordship and the headship of Christ. To not submit to him is disastrous. I I navigated the first 25 years of my life on my own. Some of you, I look around the room, there's a handful of guys, and and I've heard some of your testimonies. You're before Christ days. You liked the same things I liked. You enjoyed some of the same things I enjoyed. So you navigated your own life. You charted your own course. I did that for the first 25 years of my life. And now I'm 51. The last 26 years, Jesus has been charting my course. Now, ultimately, he was bringing me to faith even then. But I would never go back to my life of self-governance. I would never want to go back to my life of self-governance. Jesus knows me, and he knows you, 
one trillion times better than I know myself or you know yourself. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. He knows me so much better than I know myself. He knows everything. I know nothing. He is everywhere. I can barely be in one place at one time. And he is everywhere. He's omniscient, omnipresent. He's perfect. Even my righteousness, yours as well, is filthy rags, the scriptures tell us. He died for me, but I put him on the cross. And so did you. He's my Lord, my Savior, my King of Kings. And I'm just grateful to be saved. How about you? I'm just grateful to be saved. I'm just grateful to be a branch connected to the vine. To submit to him is wise. It's reasonable. It is logical. And it's the only decision we could possibly make if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he is, and we are who he says we are. Have you ever come to the place that you've submitted to the vine? You've surrendered your will to his will? If not, there is no good reason to put it off any longer. There's no good reason to put off submitting to the vine. And there may not be much time for that. Some people don't know when their last day is going to be. None of us knew. I'm not saying that to scare anybody. I'm saying we are not certain of anything. Forget the virus. I can get hit by a car on the way home. Anything could happen. We don't know how much time Jesus has submit. Everything in the Bible is today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of surrender. Today is the day of submission. The Bible makes this clear. Jesus makes this clear. And I'm not just speaking again of the current coronavirus crisis. As I mentioned, again, we've had people just this week lose family members. Nothing related to it at all. Very unexpected. But Jesus gives us right now to come under his command, under his lordship, and he'll bless that step. Taking notes, let's take a look at our second point here this morning. First, we submit to the vine, and then we connect to the vine. Again, he's the vine. We are the branches. We understand our place. Submission is the starting point. Agreeing with Jesus and surrendering to Christ is the starting point in our communion. Next Sunday, we'll take communion, but our life is communion if we've really been saved, if we've been born again. And this communion with Christ is our deepening relationship with him. You know that once a tree is well-rooted, it gets bigger, the branches get thicker, right? Eventually, like we did in our backyard, we hung a swing set on a branch. You couldn't do that when it was a twig. It had to be connected. You can't hang the swing set until it gets stronger. And so we have to be connected to Christ. We need his strength to be stronger, and really times that make our legs wobble like right now. And Jesus, he defines what a connected relationship with him looks like, and he uses the word, verse 7, if you abide, abide, abiding. Abiding is putting our daily faith and trust in Christ. It's also that ongoing surrender. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, we have to be daily living sacrifices because living sacrifices tend to get off the altar, right? So we have to be daily sacrifices. So there's an ongoing surrender, but abiding 
is to die to ourself and find real life in the Lord, to rest in him, to put our full weight upon him. The branch is fully anchored to the trunk of the tree or the, the branch to the vine. As we submit to the vine of Christ, we stay connected to the vine through this abiding. And Jesus tells us here what takes place in the believer that does abide in him. That believer that abides in him, Jesus tells us what's going to happen. Back to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And then he says in verse 10, well, I'll read verse 9 as well. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, but uh, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. Jesus said, back to verse 7, he says, you'll abide in my words, and my words will abide in you. And then you'll ask, and then he says in verse 10, you'll keep my commandments. So three things there that we'll look at. Number one, he starts out in verse 7, we'll have a taste for Jesus' words. What does that mean? Well, a taste, a desire for the word of God. My words will abide in you because you have this now taste for my word. I did not have a taste for the word of God before I got saved at the age of 26. You know, so I, you know first 25 years, then I get saved at 26. Then I, then I cared to be in the word. Matter of fact, I was reading my Bible this morning. I've basically had four Bibles since I came to Christ, Calvary, Fort Lauderdale, June of 1995. I had a little small, small hardbound Bible, uh, which ended up with... Um, after I used that a lot, it ended up with uh, duct tape, silver duct tape, the old classic. Before there was like 8 million flavors of duct tape, but you had one. It was just silver. And I, that one, and then I went to another Bible, which was a bigger Bible, which is the one that I kind of used for the next seven years. Then I had a thin profile one, then I have the one I'm using this morning. So four Bibles have basically, and I think I still have, I think I have all four of them still. I, the little one I can't remember, but... Ultimately, I was looking in one this morning, and I went ahead and read John 15 from the second Bible I had, and it was really cool. When I opened up, I had dates marked in it of 1996 and 2002 on John 15, and I had circled things then that I need exactly the same now as I needed then. I needed the Word. I needed to pray. I needed to follow the Lord in obedience, and those are the three things that we'll t take a look at, but we'll have a desire for the Word. We'll stay in the Word of God, and the Word of God will stay in us. It has staying power. I've not walked away from the Lord. I've not gone back to the world 25, 26 years later because the Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we'll stay in Christ, and He'll stay in us. He goes, you'll abide in me, I'll abide in you, but that happens with the Word. Let's take a look at this uh, together. I, I'm Looking at these three things, uh, the word, prayer, and obedience that Jesus outlines. And again, we're not covering the exhaustive list, but these are three specific things. He says, abiding is going to require these three things. There's not, it is not, there's not a substitute. There's not some other way to abide without these three things being present in our life. Uh, first, abiding in the word. 
the only way for the words of Christ and the work of Christ to flow in our lives, there's not a substitute. And in this time, it's the word of God. You have to open a Bible. You have to feed on it just the same way you'll eat today. And this time of staying at home, this isolation period, this quarantine time, this time that you're at home and, and maybe you have a little extra time. Not everybody does. The last two weeks, I have not yet had a lot of extra time. And a lot of pastors I've talked to, we've been probably a little busier. I think we might have a little bit of a slowdown if this goes on. And I might get a little more solitude time. But if you are having a little more time, now is the time to invest daily. Pick up the Bible. If you're watching and you don't know Christ, or you've been saved, and you said, I haven't been reading the Word, I encourage you, we're in the book of John, start in John chapter 1, and start little by little. It would be better to read a few verses daily and let God speak to you. Let His words get in you. But now is the time to invest in that daily commitment to being in God's Word. It's a shield to us in a, falling, in a fallen world, in a world that's falling apart. The Word is essential the second thing Jesus said here, he said, ask. And that means that we have a verbal conversation with God. We're talking to the Father. Remember, the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then that's where Jesus gave the model prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's not the Lord's prayer because Jesus doesn't ever have to ask for forgive us our trespasses. It's called the model prayer. But prayer is also essential. We have to ask God. We have to ask for his help. And we ask according to the word. The word informs our prayer life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And so life in the word produces a life of faith. And faith allows us to ask for the things that matter to God. You're not asking God for a Lamborghini. You're asking for the souls of the nations. You're not asking God, Lord, make me rich and famous. You're asking, Lord, save my neighbor. Lord, save my cousin. Lord, uh, Help me to be more loving. Help me to be more kind. Help me not to be fearful. Instead, be full of your peace. And these are the kind of things that God will answer for us because that's the heart of God. He, when the word, it changes our desires. God wants to do a work in the body of Christ and in America as well that we don't love our idols, but we love our creator, our savior, our redeemer. And then as he changes our heart through the word, through the work of the Holy Spirit, then our prayer life reflects the same heart as Jesus. Jesus, he owned everything. And when he came to the world, you didn't see him live like a billionaire. He had the relationship with his father that was that, that, was that connection point that he wants to birth in us. And so a prayer life is essential. And uh, as we rest and abide in Christ, will ask for his help continually. Like, I don't need God's help less than last year or yesterday. I need his help more day by day. And he promises to hear us. He promises to hear us. He promises to help us. He promises to answer. Isn't it good to know God doesn't need the Federal Reserve? God doesn't need Congress? God doesn't need the President? God doesn't need the world leaders. God doesn't need the CDC or the DOD or the FDIC or any other government acronym out there. Some of these are trying to do good. I get that, but God doesn't need them. God can do anything 
in his power. No, we need him, though. Our leaders need him. But I know I need him. And we have access. If you've been saved, if you've been born again, you have access to the throne of grace. The Bible says, in the time of what? Need. In the time of need. I've needed Jesus a lot in the last couple of weeks. I've been exhausted at times, and God has given me supernatural strength to do what needs to be done, including this morning. I was up in the middle of the night. I'd sleep good. I was like drained. God says, you'll get everything you need. I'll give it to you when you need it, in time of need. Our role is simply to abide, and our prayers will be as natural as your children talking to parents. Our prayer life will become that natural, that you'll just talk to God in relationship with him. Lastly, Jesus said, uh, you'll obey my commandments. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Uh, obedience is a prerequisite here. This covers all the areas that we see in the Word of God and the convicting and correcting work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This means obediently turning from sin. If God says, hey, I, I've identified this is a sin in your life, you've got to get rid of that. You've got to put it aside. Well, I can't. Lord, I need your help. Well, he will help. No temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is with, will, with the temptation, make a way that, of escape that you might be able to bear it. It doesn't matter if it's something proactive or something. You know, so I keep going towards this. God says, I will help you break that. Or something reactive. Lord, I'm, I'm getting anxious and fearful or angry. God will help with that too. But we have to obedient, be obedient and say, Lord, I recognize this as sin. Don't call it something. Don't sugarcoat it. Just call it what it is. Say, Lord, this that is happening in me is not good. I have a really bad attitude. I'm, I've, I've still not forgiven that person. Obedience says you lay those things down and say, Lord, I will do what you said. I'll go forgive. I'll stop worrying about this because I can't add a cubit to my height or an inch or a centimeter or whatever else. Whatever it is. And the Lord says, hey, you're not in my word. You have to be obedient. Lord, I, I, I will start to do that. I will pray again. I'll share my faith again. Anything that the Holy Spirit corrects, obediently turning from sin areas, anything we're called to do, this is called not just obedience, but steps of faith. The just to live by faith. D.L. Moody said, there will be no peace in any soul until it is willing to obey the voice of God. If you're watching online, you will never, ever find anything but temporary peace until you obey God. Until you say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. And even after salvation, those of us that know the Lord, we have times when we're all bent out of shape, and we have to re-surrender. We realize the reason I'm anxious, the reason I'm depressed or fearful or whatever else, the reason I'm angry or frustrated or confused is I've stopped being submitted to Jesus, and we have to re-obey. But again, there's no peace for the soul. The soul, uh, again, the things that this world offers, a great T-bone steak, a Netflix weekend binge, a great vacation, the cruise of a lifetime, all these things, which, by the way, a bunch of them have been 
kind of taken out of the options for a moment, but none of those things offer more than temporary peace. Jesus says, the peace I want to give you, not as the world gives, not as the world gives. And that peace only comes through saying, your word, Lord, prayer, obeying the voice of Christ. But the word, prayer, and obedience, uh, Christ doesn't, uh, aren't you glad he doesn't give us a list that's a mile long here? He doesn't give a long list. He's simply saying, my words, ask these things and obey. That's the essence of what he's saying here in John 15. I want you to hide, your, hide my words in your heart, talk to me and pray to me, and obey me. He doesn't give a long laundry list. It's not like the law. And to make sure that uh, you do this and uh, on, a, on the Sabbath, you can only walk this many yards uh, you know, from your house and make sure you bring an animal sacrifice. None of that stuff. Amen? Jesus said, all of that, the new covenant to shed for you, which we'll take a look at, you know, we'll, we'll take together next week in the Lord's Supper and the communion elements. But Jesus is saying, these simplistic things are what I'm asking you to do. He does not give us, you know, the new stimulus package, I, I think I saw it was, I, don't, I could be wrong, but I thought it was like 800 and some pages. That is complicated. God, who created the whole world and holds the universe together, always gives us a very simple list of things, like ten commandments. But here, it's three focus points. Jesus, the word, prayer, and obedience. Simple, but powerful. These are essential components to abide in Jesus. Simple, but powerful. Simple, but nourishing. This is the lifeblood of our relationship with Christ, and that which sustains us and refreshes us. No matter what is swirling around us, I can't tell you how many times I've come to one of our prayer meetings here or I've gotten in the pulpit exhausted and I leave and could go run a marathon. Well, not really, because I, I never could run a marathon. But, but I could run my version, three miles or something like that. But, you know, ultimately, the Spirit of God refreshes us in ways that food can't, people can't, stuff can't, events can't, entertainment can't. He sustains us and refreshes us. No matter what's going on around us, and there can be, the world can be literally falling apart. I remember even on 9-11, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, there in the hotel, and I remember when 9-11 took place. Um, I had some initial fear, but, it, but the Lord just kind of stilled my mind and I remember just being able to be calm and drive all the way back to Charlotte with an atheist who was stuck in my rental car with me who got eight hours of the gospel. No, I, I did, we, did, we did talk about other things too. But, but I remember then, and so the Lord has reminded me a lot of times the last couple of weeks, look, I have calmed you before when the world looks dark. I'll calm you again. Abide in Jesus and it, the same things that I was circling in 2002 and 1996, I'm circling again in 2020. The words of Christ, talking to God, obeying the Lord. Abiding in the vine allows us, not only that, Jesus said, if you abide in me, you'll abide in my love. And in verse 8, he says that your joy not only will remain, but that your joy would be full. How about that? He's not just saying that I will give you direction, 
but he's saying abiding in me, we can experience the love and the joy. Everyone in the world wants love. Well, not everybody. There's a couple of people that, but deep down, they probably do too. But people are seeking substitutes for joy. But Jesus is saying you'll experience the love and the joy which God has in infinite supply. God doesn't run out of love and joy. He has an infinite supply. Just like the universe seems to go on forever, God's love and joy actually does go on forever. Don't you find it interesting that so many distractions and substitutes for real joy and the things that can't love us back have been removed at the moment for billions worldwide? Those things can't love you back anyway. They've been removed for a little bit. Jesus, the great I am, is saying, I am the source of joy and love. He's saying to the disciples, do you believe this? If you're a disciple, do you believe? I'm asking you right now, if you're online, you're in your living room, or you're driving, or you're sitting there, and the men here, do you believe, do you believe deep in your soul that Jesus is the only source of love and joy? I'm, I'm asking you. Jesus says he is. Either he's right or we're right. I know I'm not right. So you can actually, you talk about something bedrock you can anchor your life on. He is the source. If you're looking, well, how can we find love and joy? And this, Jesus, he's the source of love and joy. He says, I, the great I am is saying, I am the source of love and joy. Not stuff, not entertainment, not a bigger paycheck. Let me ask you, are you abiding in Jesus right now? Or are you abiding in something else? Are you abiding in yourself, in your own plans? It's time, it's past time to submit to the vine of Jesus Christ, to abide in the vine of Christ, and to grow in the vine of Christ. Even as the world screeches to a halt, we can and we should not just abide, but now grow. Actually, more than ever, we should see our dependence on Christ and in him know that all things are possible versus we can do nothing proposition on our own. Amen? Last thing if you're taking notes, grow in the vine. We looked at submit to the vine, connect to the vine, and now we close here this morning with grow in the vine. We've been given God's grace the salvation purchased by Jesus. We've been chosen to glorify God, and we've been created, Jesus said, to bear fruit. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Says it again, verse uh, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Jesus is very, very laser-focused that not only do I want you to abide in my word, not only do I want you to be talking to me in prayer and be obedient, but as you're connected to me, as you're abiding in me, you will bear fruit, not just some fruit, lots of fruit. We've been chosen to glorify God. He did, said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. We've been created to bear fruit. Your branch is supposed to get buds on it. Fruit come out. The more we believe in the Lord, the more we know him, the more we want to know him. The more we want to know him, we still want to know him more. This is all a mystery. 
that the Holy Spirit produces in us this continuous desire. We already know Christ, and yet we want to know more. Until the final revelation, we get to heaven, we'll know even as we are known. But until that time, God creates this continuous thirst. Like a branch connected, it's constantly pulling moisture out of the root. Amen? We'll desire to know the Lord more. A.W. Tozer said these words I love. He says, to have found God and to still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. To have found God and still pursue him. I'm still pursuing him 20-some years later. 1996, 2002, 2020, circling the same passages. Why? Because I not only want to be connected, but I know, my soul knows it needs to grow. And by the way, you can grow stronger in adversity. The world's adversity will actually make the church of God more like Jesus, stronger. The truly born-again soul wants to grow because the will of God is now born in us. And so Jesus said, I've chosen you to bear fruit. You'll want to bear fruit. It's not you that wants to. It's the Spirit of God that says, I want to. That's why the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. That's why they asked. Because the Spirit produces the desire. The fruit of the Spirit, which begins with love, it transforms our minds in the intents of our heart. But it also supplies the fruit of multiplication. Multiplication in which we become a blessing to others and others come to know Jesus the same way we did because our fruit becomes attractive to a world that has dead fruit or no fruit or dying fruit or poisonous fruit, virus-laden fruit. I didn't originate the thought, but I say from time to time, the last thing to grow on trees is the fruit. So if you're saved, say, I've been... I've been in the word and prayer. I'm not seeing the fruit will come. You stay abiding. The fruit will come. Once we've submitted to the vine and we're connected and abiding in the vine, fruit will eventually come forth. Jesus guarantees it. He guarantees it. He said, I've chosen you to bear fruit. It's not a straining it out. It's not I'm going to push out an apple. It's not a straining it out, but it's a receiving. It's the same in the same way that water, unseen but deep in the ground, is grabbed by the roots, those dirty, dirt-crusted roots, they grab the water up through the trunk to the connected branches, then into a piece of fruit that comes seemingly out of nowhere, even hundreds of them, and then that rainwater turns into sweet sugar water of various flavors depending on the fruit. Rainwater to apple juice. Rainwater to orange juice. Rainwater to cranberry juice. Or to everyone's favorite, prune juice. You know, that's another option that you, that you have. But God does that in us. He takes the dirty water, clean water, fruit comes forth in our life from brown winter branches to blooming and sweetness of fruit. We need to trust the word of the Lord and personally taste the sweetness of the Lord. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. If you're online and you've never come to Christ, you need to taste and see that God will give you grace, that it will save you. If you are saved and you've been just really not abiding, it's time to retaste 
and see that God is good, that, that everything else is just a dead end and leads to misery and anxiety and fear and all these things. We need his sweetness right now, especially in such a messed up time. We need his life-giving power. We need his peace. We need his joy. Others need it. They can either feed off your fear or feed off your faith. Especially if you're parents. Your kids are going to feed off your faith or your fear. Fruit is something they can see, and it's attractive. Fruit is attractive. And God wants to say, look, I want to create an attraction to the gospel, to the scriptures, through you, that you'd bear fruit. Others need it. People need to see the fruit of God in our lives. When the trees of the world are so barren and so hopeless, and there's no source of eternal life, and the world's planted trees. Brothers and sisters, let's choose now to abide in the vine of Jesus. Choose now. Don't wait another day. Don't wait till April 1st. Today, for his glory, for our own joy, for our growth, and that others that are still looking for life, that are still looking for salvation, that are still looking for hope in the systems, the fallen, corrupt, bankrupt systems of this world would come to know the light of the world, Jesus. Remember back in John 12, you can either abide in darkness or you can abide in him. There's no middle ground. There, well, I, I don't want to abide in darkness, but I don't want to abide in Jesus. I'm going to abide in myself. That's to choose darkness. Abide in him. Choose now. Brother and sister, if you're saved, stop being lukewarm. Stop playing games with God. Say, Lord, I'm surrendering all. You know that song, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. I have to do that. You have to do that. But he'll do in us a work of love, a work of joy, a work of fruitfulness. Why would we not want to do that? And even beyond that, Jesus is worthy. Amen? I'm going to close this in prayer. And for anyone online, you know, this is a message mostly to those that know Christ, but not exclusively. I, I'm always cognizant I may be talking to someone who doesn't know Jesus. And Jesus, even in this passage, says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And maybe Jesus is choosing you this morning. And you logged on, and you didn't know why. Maybe you just wanted some peace. Maybe you just wanted the comfort of God's word. And I'm praying that God is speaking to you and saying, Jesus is saying, come, come to me. If you're weary, if you're laden by the guilt of your own sin, if you know that you've been trusting yourself, if you know if you died, you would not spend eternity in heaven. You're not sure where you would spend eternity. The Bible says there's two places, heaven or hell. There's not any other options. It's heaven or hell. Heaven is a gift of God's grace. God, I used to, when I was in the business world, every Monday, I'd have a coworker because uh, for the last several years of me uh, in the business world, I was bivocational. I'd teach on Sundays, and I'd do my job Monday through Friday, and he would always ask me on a Monday morning, he'd say, uh, did you send anybody to hell this weekend? And my answer would always be the same. I can't send them to hell. They're already on their way there. I can only point them to heaven. I can only set up a road sign that says, this way to Jesus. And that's all we're called to do. I can't make a decision for people. I can't even make a decision for my own family members. Each person has to decide for themselves, I want to abide in Jesus or I'm going to stay abiding in darkness. I want eternal life or I want just this life. 
And so Jesus came to save us from whether it's coronavirus or cancer or heart disease. We have a problem with sin first and death second. And Jesus came to deliver us from the penalty of both those and to save us from our sins. And I just want to close in a prayer. If you're here, if you're online and God has been speaking to you and say, I've known the gospel. I've heard it a hundred times. I want to give my life to Christ as I did in June of 1995 and my wife did. We walked the aisle the same day and we gave our lives to Christ. You say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. He will receive you. He will save you. He will wash you. He will cleanse you. He will write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you don't have to worry about anything else in this lifetime. You're secure for eternity. And then he'll draw you into his word, into prayer, into walking with him and growing in his grace. I'm going to pray. If that's you uh, and you need to come to Christ, and even if you're saved, say, I've really not been abiding in the Lord. I've been abiding in myself. Just ask God to forgive you and say, Lord, I'm going to pick your word back up, get back into talking to you, obeying you, walking in the spirit. I'm going to pray with those that may need to come to Christ. You can kneel. You can stand up wherever you're at. Just follow me as I pray this prayer. You can pray it wherever you're at. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming, the light of the world. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for offering your body, your blood, your shed blood, your suffering, that I could be saved. Thank you that you rose from the dead. Thank you that you conquered the grave. Lord, thank you that you're calling me right now by name. Whatever your name is, that Jesus, you are calling me by name. And I ask that you would forgive me. Cleanse me of my sins. Wash me. Forgive me, Lord, of resisting you for so long. Forgive me of doubting you. Forgive me for not believing in the name and the power and the risen Jesus. Wash me. Cleanse me. I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me now to grow in your grace. And for those that are saved, Lord, just, Lord, I recommit, I resurrender my life to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.